All right. Good evening, everyone. Let's uh, let's let's begin. So first, I wanna I wanna welcome everyone. It's uh, Baruch Hashem. Very exciting that we are restarting some of the shiurim in the shul, and I think it's been a long time. We used to have a women's shear that went on for a while. I think it was a Wednesday. It's hard to remember Wednesday night parsha shear. Baruch that we had for a long time, and um, the Tehillim shear I was giving in wit until this semester, but because of a couple of scheduling issues, we now, Baruch Hashem, have the opportunity to continue this year in an evening capacity, which, you know, it's always hard to find a good time of day that works for everyone. But, Emir Hashem, it'll be an incredible to be able to learn together. So I want to begin, first of all, by thanking our series sponsor, to thank to thank um, Mrs. Engelsberg and her children, Edith and Yitzchak, and Yitzchak Dinovitzer, Shal and Fege Engelsberg, and Shifra and David Steinberg for dedicating this series in memory of their husband, father, Rav Yitzchak David Ben Meir Aryeh. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama will have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. We also thank our sheer sponsor for tonight, Robin Schaefer, for continued Torah growth for the women of our community. Beautiful, wonderful. So with that, let, let me give a little bit of an introduction. So those of you who perhaps were part of our Tehillim Shir, you know, in past years, will recognize this introduction, but it's very important for the learning of Sefer Tehillim. Can you hear me okay back there? Good. For learning of Sefer Tehillim, which is as follows. Sefer Tehillim is a complex Sefer, yet on the other hand, it's so simple. It's simple in that we know that in times of need, times of difficulty, almost like the, the reflex of the Jew is to open up a Sefer Tehillim. Right? For some reason, it's our go-to book, both in times of crisis as well as in times of incredible simcha. The interesting part is that if a person tries to understand Sefer Tehillim, it's often very complex. Open up a book of Tehillim and even Kapitlach that you are very familiar with and try to translate it and often it's very difficult to translate it. And even if you're able to translate it, to be able to translate it in a way which conveys a comprehensive message is often exceptionally complicated. Now, there's a simple reason for that. Simple reason for that is because Sefer Tehillim is poetry. And poetry often doesn't translate well into a different language. So David HaMelech wrote some of the most beautiful poetry in Lashon HaKodesh, in Hebrew. So to try to translate that into a different language, you lose so much of the nuance, you lose so much of the beauty. But the truth is, there's a different reason why Sefer Tillam is so complex. You know, in the Navi, we know the famous story, after the entire downfall of Shaul's monarchy. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Shmuel HaNavi to go and anoint one of the sons of Yishai. And the truth is, it's a very dramatic story about, very, about the anointing of the son of Yishai. Remember, again, Shmuel shows up to Yishai's home, and he says to Yishai, can you call over all of your sons? And the Navi relates that Yishai, his sons, were strapping young men. They were warriors. They were soldiers. And so he lines them all up, and Shmuel essentially goes one by one, right? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, not this one. Not this one, not this one, not this one. He goes through all of the sons of Shaul. And none of them were chosen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be king. So Shmuel asks Yishai, do you have any more children? Do you have any more children? And Yishai's initial response is astonishing. Yishai says, no. Shmuel says, are you sure? To which Yishai responds, oh yeah. Oh yeah, there's one more. There's one more. David HaMelech was the oh yeah child. 
David HaMelech, and this is very important because as we go, bless you, as we go through Sefer Tehillim, we're going to see how David HaMelech deals with so much trauma and tragedy. And how David HaMelech deals with so much difficulty and adversity. And much of that difficulty and adversity was because of his upbringing, was because of family situations. You know, as we all know, you don't choose the family you are born into. Now, if you're here with your mother, do not turn and look towards her. Right? But right? right? So you don't choose your family. You don't choose your family. And David Amal certainly did not choose his family. It's an incredible amount of adversity and an incredible amount of difficulty. But when the Navi introduces us to David HaMelech, David did not look like his brothers. First of all, he was significantly younger. Second of all, he was Admoni. He was a gingy. He was a redhead. Third of all, the Navi identifies him as Yefe'e Naim. He had beautiful eyes. Now throughout Tanakh, men are never identified by their eyes. The only time a description of eyes is used is always by women. The first time we find the woman described by her eyes, Leah. Ene Leah Rakos. And it's interesting, I think because many of us learn this Pasuk when we're young, we're conditioned to think like Rashi, right? So Leah's eyes were soft. And why were Leah's eyes soft? Excellent. Because she was crying because she was going to marry Asaph. I want to just tell you, that's one opinion. The majority of opinions disagree with Rashi. And they say Ene Leah Rakos means Leah's eyes were beautiful. They were soft. There was a beauty in Leah Imenu's eyes. You see, the Torah contrasts Rachel and Leah. When it says Rachel is Yifas Mara, Rachel was beautiful. Leah was also beautiful. But Leah had a feature that her sister did not possess. Leah possessed the most exquisite eyes. When you looked at Leah, you saw something unique about her eyes. You know the phrase, the eyes are the window to the soul? I'm pretty sure it traces its way back to Leah Imenu. That Leah is the first person you looked at Leah, you looked into her eyes, and you saw there's just something deep about this woman. What is it? I don't know. But I just know that there's something, as they say, mashu mishuna, there's something different about this person. Because we know that sometimes you can look into a person's eyes and you could see a deep profundity, a power that may escape words, may escape definition, but you know that it's there. So when the Navi introduces us to David HaMelech, the Navi introduces him by, tell, by telling us he had beautiful eyes. Only man in all of Tanakh who is described by his eyes. And amazingly enough, what the Navi is sensitizing us to is that David HaMelech, was a multi-level personality. There was external David, there was internal David. There was public David, there was personal David. There was David the warrior, you know, whenever you go ahead and you see like, like paintings of David HaMelech, right? Like if you ever have like any of the Kapitlach of Tilim in art, David HaMelech is always drawn with what? A harp. I think David HaMelech spent like three minutes with a harp, right? David HaMelech's life was spent with the sword. He was a warrior. He spends his entire life fighting. We'll talk about some of those battles tonight. Internal battles, external battles, battles within the Jewish people, battles of external... He's fighting. He's always fighting. From the time he was little, he was fighting for acceptance in his family. And the truth is, that 
fight doesn't end until David HaMelech dies. Remember, again, we know that in Malachim Aleph, the beginning of Malachim Aleph, the Navi describes David HaMelech's final moments. Right? How were David HaMelech's final moments on this earth spent? He's dying. He's literally laying in bed, dying. And what happens? Bathsheba comes. Nasan HaNavi come. And it, I mean, this is women. You know the story, right? You learn, everybody learns Navi, except for men. Right? So, so, so remember, Nasan HaNavi shows up. Bathsheba shows up. And they say, David, Adonio ben Chagis, one of your children, has declared himself, He has declared himself king. David, you need to make a statement that Shlomo is going to be the king. David is dying. He's dying. He's literally moments away from his last breath. The man has no menucha in this world. A turbulent life. From beginning to end. Now, it doesn't mean that there weren't moments of incredible elation and in moments of incredible simcha and moments of incredible shalom. But just when you think about the Davidic personality, it's a complicated one. And so when the Navi tells us that David had beautiful eyes, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what the Navi is trying to convey to us is, David HaMelech was someone who was so multifaceted. There were so many layers, so many dimensions to this persona. And why is this important? Because when we learn Sefer Tehillim, what we are doing is we are looking into David HaMelech's eyes. That's what we're doing. We are staring into his eyes, staring into his soul, staring into his life experiences. And what we will see is that words or themes which look so simple on the surface carry with them so many layers of pain, so many layers of elation, so many layers of defeat, so many layers of accomplishment, all in the same capital, all in the same chapter. So that's kind of our introduction to Sefer Tillam. So we're going to try to do over the course of this year, which I'm very excited that we have the great source to be able to start together, is to focus on a capital. We'll probably spend a few weeks on each chapter and really focus and try to isolate some of the themes. And then Amir Hashem, what we will do is we'll tie it into the parsha, So that we'll begin to see, because I think part of the beauty of Sefer Tehillim is Tehillim speaks to every person and every occasion and every moment and to every parsha. And we'll see Amir Hashem how we tie these themes together. So with that, we're going to begin tonight with Kapitel Hey. Now the truth is, Amir Hashem, after we do this Kapitel, we're going to jump towards, I think I, I, you know, I was giving the Sheer and Wit for a good number of years. I think we left off there in chapter 67, chapter 68. So we'll pick up Emir Hashem there. But for some reason, when looking back over my notes, it appears that I skipped Parak Hay in Tehillim many years ago. So I want to do Tshuva. So it's almost Rosh Hashanah. It's almost Elul. So it's time to do Tshuva. So let's do Kapitel Hay. So let's take a look. We're not going to do this entire Kapitel inside. I just want to show you a couple of pieces. So Laminat Seach. So first of all, it's always interesting to see. You could tell a lot. There should be sheets. I think by the Bima over here if anyone needs or up front if anyone needs. Thank you. So we will see that how David HaMelech begins the capital also sets the stage for what's going to be discussed. So interestingly enough, Now it's a word we're all familiar with from Tehillim. Lamatzeach means what? To the conductor. Conductor of what? So remember, David HaMelech's greatest aspiration in life was to what? Build the Beis HaMikdash. 
That's all David HaMelech wanted. And we'll discuss why that is. There were many reasons for that. He felt that building the Beis HaMikdash represented forgiveness for the episode with Bathsheba. He felt that a number of different things. He always wanted to build the Beis HaMikdash. But Allah was not to be. David HaMelech was not going to build the Beis HaMikdash. So he does the next best thing. First of all, he purchased the real estate for the Beis HaMikdash, right? He purchases the threshing floor from Aravna Hayevusi, the future site of the Beis HaMikdash. The other thing David HaMelech did is he wrote all of the music for the Beis HaMikdash. So when you say Lam Natseach, remember again, the Rambam Paskins, the Rambam holds that Shira, song, is an indispensable part of sacrificial service. If the Levim do not sing their song, the sacrificial service is invalid. What are they singing? What's the Shira? Tehillim. David HaMelech wrote the music for Sefer Tehillim. So when you see Lam Natseach, to the conductor, this is David HaMelech speaking to the conductor of the Levitic choir. So, So, to the conductor, the English translation is very helpful over here. Alan Echilos means on Echilos. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Mizmor le David, a song of David. And you could scan the rest of the capital. This capital captures a theme that is prevalent in much of Sefer Tehillim, where David HaMelech says, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. Life is difficult. My circumstances are overwhelming. Sometimes I feel like I'm just going to buckle underneath the burden of life. So much of Sefer Tehillim is this dialogue between David and the Ribbono Shalom. And it's David, you know, David HaMelech gave us so much, but what David HaMelech taught us is this ability to speak to the Ribbon Shalom just to tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu how you're feeling. You know, if you look, for example, now Baruch Hashem and Bereshit, Bereshit is always an exciting Chumash because the stories are so riveting and so overwhelming. When you look at the dialogue of the Avos and Imos with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you don't really see people talking to God about how they feel. You see people talking to God about what they need about what they need. So Armavinu will daven to spare stone. Armavinu will daven for a son. Yitzchak, yeah. People daven, that was the nature. It was a petitional relationship. Davina Melech has a relationship where he says to God, I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. And I just want to tell you what I am experiencing. You know, in Hasidus, this idea of his bodidus, of being alone with oneself, and being alone with the Ribbono Shal Olam and just talking to God. Not talking to God from a siddur. Not, we spoke about this by Aserah Smitshuv a little bit. Not talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the text of a particular prayer. But just talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ribbono Shal Olam. Life is great. Thank you. Or Ribbono Shal Olam. Life is really difficult. And my challenges are overwhelming. And sometimes I'm not sure if I'm going to make it through the day. That's the, that's the theme over here in this capital. Now, the incredible part about David HaMelech, and the truth is, if you think about it, it's almost as if many of the kapitlach are David HaMelech's private therapy session with the Ribbono Shalom. So what does he do? He talks out the problems, and then at the end, he feels better. He feels better. God didn't say anything. Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't respond. But it's an incredible lesson that sometimes it's helpful just to talk stuff out with yourself. 
I mean, don't talk to yourself in front of other people, but I'm saying, you know, j- just to go ahead and talk things out between yourself and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ribbon Hashem, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm experiencing. So, what's, so you, you'll, see, you'll see the rest of the capital on your own. So David HaMelech discusses how overwhelming and difficult life is, but then reinforces the belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're going to be there for me. So whenever we learn Sefer Tehillim, it's always important to understand context. Remember, it's not the pshat that David HaMelech just sat down and rattled off 150 chapters of Tehillim. First of all, David HaMelech didn't write all of Tehillim. We'll get into that in, in, in subsequent shurim as well. But David HaMelech wrote different kapitlach at different chapters of life. And very often what we can see through the commentaries is how a particular chapter of Tehillim is related to something which was happening in David HaMelech's life. So what was happening in this particular capital? So number two, the Radak says over here, mizmar David Who are the enemies that David HaMelech is referring to over here? Who are the people who are making David HaMelech's life miserable? David HaMelech, as I mentioned before, had two sets of enemies. He had external enemies, that makes sense. Those are the surrounding nations. But David HaMelech also had to constantly deal with internal enemies. David HaMelech, from the beginning of his monarchy, from the people who felt that he usurped the throne from Shaul, which of course was unequivocally false. David HaMelech did not want to be the king. He never had any monarchical aspirations. He never wanted it. He ran from it. He ran from it. He had multiple opportunities to kill Shaul. Shaul was trying to kill him. He never lifted a hand towards his father-in-law. Not once. He never wanted to be the king. You know all David HaMelech wanted in life? All he wanted in life? was to be a shepherd, right? Peace, peace. David Amalekh wanted to be left alone. I, leave me alone. I don't need the covet. I don't need the wealth. I don't need the fame. I just want to be left alone. That's what David Amalekh wanted. But yet from the beginning of his monarchy, he has antagonists. He has people who accuse him of usurping the throne. And then of course, the episode with Bathsheba, which we'll discuss created a whole new other dynamic for David HaMelech. Just to understand what David HaMelech had to contend with. The Gemar Masech Shabbos says that David HaMelech would walk into the base medrash, he would walk into the study hall, and the scholars there would taunt him. They would say, David, what's the penalty for adultery? What's the penalty for adultery? They would humiliate him in the whole base medrash. And David HaMelech said, you know what? The penalty for adultery is death. But at least you get Olam Haba. But the penalty for humiliating someone in public is you don't even have your olam haba. This is what David HaMelech had to face day in and day out. The scorn. And you know, leaders are often expected to rise above the fray, right? Leaders are expected not to get down into the mud. And leaders are expected not to just dish it back to everyone else. And David HaMelech personified that ability to stay above everything. So the Radak says over here that the pain expressed in this capital has nothing to do with surrounding warring nations. The pain expressed in this capital is David HaMelech being besmirched and being trampled upon by his own People, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because we hear this sometimes. And when people don't know this and hear this, they're like, Shak, David HaMelech, David Malka Mashiach, David Melech Yisrael, Chai V'Kayom, the father of the Messianic line. You know, the cloud Godel is great people become great when they're dead. That's generally the way it works, right? And great people, great leaders become beloved when they're dead. It's the same way you go to a Levaya 
They take out the casket, they take out the iron, everyone stands up. I, so we stand up for people when they're dead. We treat them like dirt when they're alive, but we stand up for them when they're dead. Great people become great when they're dead. When they're alive, they're often fundamentally unappreciated. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu. We, we know what our grandparents did to Moshe Rabbeinu. How they treated Moshe Rabbeinu. Did he deserve it? Moshe Rabbeinu led the most selfless life. The most selfless life. But they mistreated him. David HaMelech, now, now, we understand what David HaMelech is. But when he was alive... He was a subject of so much scorn and derision. So says the Radak, this particular capital was written in a moment of intense internal pain. Pain caused by fellow Jews, not pain caused by external enemies. Now, which particular episode or what happened or when it happened, that the Mepharshim don't tell us. But this pain over here, the raw pain, you'll see the capital on your own, ultimately again is a response to the humiliation and, and really mistreatment being visited upon him by his fellow Jews. But what I want to draw your attention to, I want to spend the rest of our time on tonight, is one word. And that one word is the word I underlined, nechilos. What does that word mean? So here's a perfect example. It's safer to heal him, right? What, we're just, I want to know a definition. How do you define nechilos? So the simple answer, the Radak and the Metsudas David say something amazing. They say, that Nechilos refers to an instrument. The Radak says, So apparently, the Radak, the Mesudas David, saying Nechilos is an instrument. Why is it called Nechilos? Because it sounds like a swarm of bees whatever that sounds like. So this was interesting. So what's interesting about this is as follows. Now what this tells us is that in certain kapitlach, not only did David say lam natseach, that this is to be sung by the Levitic choir, but David HaMelech even told us which instrument to use in the shira. So according to this approach, lam natseach, conductor of the Levitic choir, this particular song, El HaNechilos, is supposed to utilize the Nechilos instrument as part of its musical composition. Rav Shamshunafal Hirsch, and number five says differently. And here, if Hirsch says something, if Hirsch's, if Hirsch's commentary on Tehillim is nothing short of, it's, it's, it's majestic. It's, it's absolutely incredible. So if Hirsch says as follows, he says, thus, Nihilos denotes the final achievements attained by man on earth through his loyalty or disloyalty to his duties. La Nihilos refers to God, who helps us attain spiritual inner victory with regard to that destiny awaiting us here on earth, in accordance with the direction our lives have taken, to him who helps us attain victory in our achievements in life. All right, what does that mean in English? So Rav Hirsch says something amazing. He says, Nechilos means pathways. David singing to HaKadosh Baruch who helps us along the pathways of life. And says Rav Hirsch, what does that mean? Rav Hirsch says, one of the most important pieces of Amuna that we must possess is the, rea- is the realization that there is a plan for every path. There is a plan for every path. Meaning what? There is not one path in life. You know, I remember when I was a kid, they used to have these books, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. 
I'm significantly older than everyone here, apparently. Right? So you know, at least have the yeah, these to have the so you regard you're reading the book, you, you get to the you get to the kid is at a crossroads, turn to page twenty four. For this, turn to page thirty six. Is there a right decision to go right or go left? Is there a right decision in the book? No. It's two different narratives. Rav Hirsch says that life is filled with different narratives. And life is filled with different paths. And whatever path I find myself on, there is a plan from HaKadosh Baruch Hu for that path. And this is incredibly important on a variety of levels. Because often we make the mistake of thinking that there's one path in life. There's one path. Right? There, there's, there's one kibun, there's one direction, there's one path, there's one thing I'm supposed to accomplish. There's one path, and if for some reason that path doesn't materialize, the sky is falling. Every, everything, everything is up in arms. Everything is collapsing all around me. And Lamnatseach al-Nechilo says that very often in life, the path that you choose for yourself doesn't materialize. Or it materializes but it doesn't last as long as you hoped it had lasted. Or maybe it never even gets started. And often we feel lost in life. David HaMelech says, a Jew is never lost because whatever path you're on, there's a plan for that path. Lam Natseach El HaNechilos. HaKadosh Baruch I sing to you because you have a plan for every single path in life. So many times in life, we feel like we've hit a brick wall. We feel like we've hit a dead end. We feel like we've run out of options. Why? Because we're upset that life has not gone as we had planned it. Because the path that I wanted to take is either not the path that I'm on, maybe it's no longer even available to me. And we feel such a sense of yeosh, such a sense of despair, such a sense of giving up, almost as if, like, I've missed the boat in life. The path that I wanted is no longer available to me. The ship has set sail without me. There are many, many, many paths. Life is a choose-your-own-adventure. Now, sometimes you don't choose the adventure. The adventure chooses you. Sometimes you don't choose your circumstances. Your circumstances choose you. But whatever path you are on in life, know that that path is part of a divine plan. Now hold that rapture for just a moment. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a detour. Because the Medrash Tehillim says something absolutely amazing. Medrash Tehillim writes, Mi nachliel, The Medrash writes, So the Medrash over here is quoting in Bamidbar, where the Torah discusses all of the various places the Jewish people camped during their sojourn in the desert. So it says, Mimatana Nachliel. Now, the Mepharshim point out, the problem with a lot of these places is we don't find any record of them. We don't find any places by this name, right? We don't find at the end of the day that these are actually on record. So therefore, again, this leads the, this leads the Medrash to understand that Often these names are more descriptive than anything else. So the Medrash writes, So what happened ultimately in the place Nachliel? Nachliel is a reference to the sin of the golden calf. Sin of the golden calf. That's where we literally inherited idolatry. The Jewish people built the golden calf. They said, this is your God. And what does he mean from Nachliel? So Nachliel, the Medrash says, 
is not the name of a place. Nachliel is from the Lushan, from the verbiage of Nachala. We inherited. What did we inherit in Nachliel? We inherited idolatry. We inherited idolatry. Which idolatry? The idolatry of the golden calf. After Nachliel, where did we go? Bamos. What happened in Bamos? The Medrash says, And of course, after the golden calf, unfortunately, the Malachamavas, the angel of death, came because unfortunately many lost their lives in the aftermath of the sin of the golden calf. So understand how dramatic this Medrash is. The Medrash, just so you understand, the Medrash number six is commenting on number one, on this particular capital. And the Medrash is giving us a definition. What's Lam Natseach El HaNechilos? What does Nechilos refer to? Oh, the Medrash says Nechilos refers to the place Nachliel. And what happened in Nachliel? What happened in Nachliel? We inherited idolatry. The sin of the golden calf. So the Medrash is saying that Nechilos is a reference to the sin of the golden calf. And David HaMelech is saying, Lam Natsiach, to the conductor, El HaNechilos, Mizmor LeDavid, a song of David. So how are we to understand what the Medrash is trying to convey? But I think if we globalize it a little bit, what the Medrash is saying is like this. Nechilos represents failure in life. Nechilos represents the failures of existence. So tonight we're going to deal with the million dollar question, which is, how does one deal with life failure. How do you deal with failure in life? And failure is a very amorphous term. Failure can mean, I feel like a failure. I have not become the person I want to be. I have not accomplished the things I want to accomplish. Failure could be about, maybe my family is not where I want them to be. Maybe my children are not where I want them to be. Maybe my siblings, maybe my parents. Failure can mean so many different things. So however you define failure in your life, how do we deal with failure? How, do we, how does a Jew deal with life failure? So the amazing part is that whenever we want to know how to deal with something, it's amazing. Who do we look to? Who do we look to? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because interestingly enough, if you take a look at number seven, in this week's parasha, we read extensively about failure. Noach. The Torah tells us we are one parsha away from creation. We're only six chapters into the book of Bereshis. The world was literally just created last week. Adam and Chava just created last week. Six chapters in. And the world, humanity, has fundamentally debased itself. It's done. It's done. Man has failed. Man has failed. And man has failed in such a profound way that there's no restart. There's no do-over. I mean, there is a do-over, but it's a comprehensive do-over. All of humanity has to be erased, save Noah and his family, and we will start over in that way. The most profound failure that mankind has ever experienced. But before we see the failure of mankind in Parshas Noah, the truth is if you look at number eight, we see another feeling of failure already in the, in the end of Parshas Bereshis. And the Torah says, Vayar Hashem, Ki Raba Ra'a Sa'adam Ba'aretz, 
There's so much to say on these psukim, but we're just going to read them for now. Who saw that the evil of man was so great, and he was just perpetrating evil all the time. I think this is one of the most dramatic psukim in the Torah. Now it's true, it's anthropomorphic. It cannot be understood literally because the Ribbono Shal Olam does not have feelings, right? Feelings or emotion are, is, 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 part of the, is part of humanity. But nevertheless, Kodesh is trying to convey to us a profound feeling of failure. Isn't it incredible that there are moments where even HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels like a failure? There are moments where even HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels let down, by the way things are going. Look at the strong, look at the strength of these words. Which literally may, again, Baruch regretted. He regretted that he created man. I made a mistake. Remember again, by the creation of man, there was a whole bikuach, there was a homach lokas in the celestial basin, the celestial court. Should we create man? Should we not create man? And pretty much God with a couple of angels was for the creation. Everyone else was against it. And God, the eternal optimist, said, Yetov, it's going to be great. Except it wasn't. Except it wasn't. So the Ribbono Shal Olam, the architect of everything in this universe, the master of everything, feels that he has failed. He regretted that he created man. But he didn't just regret. He was sad. The Ribbono Shal Olam was sad. Therefore, it says, who says, I failed, we need to start over. So, amazingly enough, within two parshios, we see two examples of dramatic failure. Working backwards, in Parshas Noach, we see the dramatic failure of man. But at the end of Parshas Bereshis, we read HaKadosh Baruch Hu's self-professed feeling of failure. Right? We, see, we would never say HaKadosh Baruch Hu failed. HaKadosh Baruch can't fail at anything. But the Rebbe Shalom is giving us a window into his divine mind, into his divine neshama. And he's telling us, how did I feel when the very fabric of humanity began to unravel? I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure. I regretted that I did these things and I was profoundly sad about the way everything transpired. So what do you do with failure? So now we see man experiences failure. Even HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on some level, tells us that he experiences feelings of failure. We can all relate to this. Because who amongst us hasn't felt feelings of failure? I, I would venture to say that many of us have moments of failure, feelings of failure, every single day. And I would see even a little bit more. If you don't have feelings of failure every single day, you're probably not paying enough attention to how you live. Because feelings of failure every day are good. That means I'm setting the bar high and I'm not reaching the bar. If I never feel like a failure, that probably means that I'm under-accomplished and setting my sights very low. But what do you do in those moments when you feel failure? What do you do in those moments? How do you deal with that? So I want to show you something amazing. In number nine, the Chose of Lublin says something absolutely amazing. He darshans, he, he explains the Psukim in number eight in a dramatically different way. So the Rebbe says as follows. Look what he writes. He says, At the end of the first line, 
Vayar Hashem ki raba ra'as ha'adam ba'aretz. So let me show this to you. It might be easier. Well, we're following number nine, then we'll go back to number eight. So the first part of the Pasuk, the Chose is, is focusing over here on number eight. Well, I'm reading in number nine, but he's focusing on the Pasuk in number eight, Pasuk hey. And here's how the Chose of Lublin understands the Pasuk. Vayar Hashem ki raba ra'as ha'adam ba'aretz. V'chol yetzer machshavos libo rak rak halayom. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees that man is pretty much sinning all of the time. And what's God's response? So the way the Chose reads the Pasuk is, Vayinachim Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is okay. He's consoled. He's consoled. You see, the great thing about Chasidus is you can move punctuation. So therefore, again, the Rebbe says, really, Vayinachim Hashem is part of the previous Pasuk. So God sees everything that man has done wrong, but it's okay. Why is it okay? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, look, I created them. And I created them frail. And I created them subject to desires and wants and whims. So of course they're going to mess up. That messing up is part for the course. Messing up is the greatest expectation. You know, I've said this before, and it sounds like a little bit of a, a, little bit of a downer. But you know, if there's one thing you could expect from every single human relationship, it is disappointment. That's from a sheer veteran, right? right? Disappointment. Disappointment. You have to bank on disappointment in your life relationships. I know that sounds terrible, right? Why? Because people are people. And no one always lives up to expectations. So of course, at some point in time, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed with your husband. You're going to be disappointed with your wife. You're going to be disappointed with your kids. You're going to be disappointed with your parents. I wish you would have done this. Wish and that's normal. And that's okay. It's okay because no one's perfect. And because I'm not perfect, inevitably, I'm going to disappoint the people in my life. And usually, I'm going to disappoint the people who are closest to me. Because those are the ones often who have the greatest expectations of me. That's part of the course. So the Chose says, HaKadosh Baruch who sees we're sinning. I'm sure he shook his divine head. But I was like, okay. Uh, that's, what, that, that's what happens. That's what happens. Vayinochim Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could, so to speak, wrap his head around the fact that we go ahead and make mistakes. But says the Chose, says the Chose, however, where does, where does HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so if you go, if you look up at number eight for just a moment. So it says, Vayinochim Hashem, ki Adam ba'aretz. Ultimately, again, Hashem is consoled. In other words, He's not going to destroy man. He's not going to destroy man because man sins. Because remember, you know, sometimes the greatest defense we have when we sin is, it's a little bit of chutzpah, but I say, Bono Shalom, listen, what do you want? You created me. I didn't ask for these desires. I didn't ask for these wants. I didn't ask for these pushes and pulls. I'd rather not have them. I'd rather, I'd rather have spiritual serenity. I'd rather not be in a constant internal tug of war. You gave it to me. So if you gave it to me, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's shared responsibility. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's HaKadosh Baruch who created man. But says the Chose, and this is incredible. So where does HaKadosh Baruch Hu decide that there is no hope for humanity? Says the Chose something absolutely life-alteringly amazing. Everyone reads that phrase as referring to God. Who saw what man did, and he regretted making man, and he was so sad, even in his divine heart, he was sad. Says the Chose, that's not what it means. Means HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to go ahead and destroy mankind. 
When man became despondent and gave up on himself. Says the Chose of Lublin, look how to read these Psukim Memorations. Go back to Mary for just one moment. So now you see in Pasuke, and read the phrase, and read the phrase, sinning from morning until evening, sin, 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 sin. All Averis, all the time. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, you know what, not good, not happy with it, but this is how I created them. But it's okay. It's okay. It'll be all right. Yetov. But then what happens? Vaisatse velibo. Man gives up hope. Like if you look at the words of the Chose in number nine, four lines up from the bottom in the middle of the line. Vaisatse velibo. Shabore ra'a. Sha'adam nafal bizra'o sa'atzvus. When mankind gave up on itself, when we gave up on ourselves, that's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's done. It's done. If they have no hope for themselves, if they believe that they are beyond redemption, if they believe that there is no hope, if they believe that they can't turn it around, because the moment that a person feels that all hope is lost, the moment that a person feels that they are beyond salvation or redemption, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that's the end of the road. And isn't this chose incredible? Sin is not what destroyed us. Sin is not what obliterated humanity. Sin is part and parcel of the human condition. Everyone does it. Everyone suffers from it. Some sin a little more, some sin a little bit less. But it is part of the fabric of the human condition. What sealed the fate of humanity was the moment we gave up on ourselves and did not believe that we had the ability to turn things around. I'll show you something amazing. If you take a look, this, by the way, the Chose of Lublin over here talks about atzvos, you know, sadness. And Rabbi Nachman speaks about this in, in incredible terms. You know, Rabbi Nachman himself speaks about his own struggles with atzvos, his own struggles with sadness and depression. And Rabbi Nachman says, everyone thinks that the greatest challenge in life is sin. He says, that's not the greatest challenge for one simple reason. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You can't avoid it. You could decrease the frequency, right? You could kind of change things up. Don't do the same thing, sin all the time, right? Try to vary things, you know, so I'm not always repeating the same negative behaviors, but sin is part of the nature of the human condition. Rabbi Nachman says the greatest existential danger to the Jew is atzvos, is sadness, because the moment you fall into the clutches of sadness, there is no hope for personalistic redemption. The moment you fall into the clutches of sadness, there is no pulling yourself out of the rut. The moment you fall into the clutches of sadness is when Rabbi Nachman says you fall into the most dangerous power in the world, Yeyosh. And Yeyosh is just when you give up on everything and everyone, but most importantly, you give up on yourself. So when is the fate of mankind sealed? Not when we sinned. But when we gave up on ourselves, if you take a look at number 10, there's such an amazing exchange. Going back to Bereshus again. God says to Kayin, 
See, interestingly enough, so now we know that the greatest danger to man is not sin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu can forgive sin. And he does. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always willing to forgive sin. The greatest danger to man is Yeosh, is giving up on myself, resigning myself to the fact that nothing could change, I can't change, this is the way it is, I can't be better, life can't be better, this is it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if that's your mentality, Adam. then I have to start over because there's nothing to work with anymore. So what should I do in the face of astonishing failure? So look what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Kayin. He says to Kayin number 10, Now this is a fascinating exchange. We know the story of Kayin and Hevel. Right? So remember again, two brothers both offer up a carbon. Kayin's carbon was not accepted. Hevel's carbon was accepted. Remember, the irony of the story is whose idea was it to bring a carbon? It was Kayin's, right? It's very important to know. The carbon was Kayin's idea. This was his idea. Hevel, the younger brother, mimicked his older brother, which is wonderful, and Hevel just did it better. Sheshbarach, who accepts Hevel's carbon, he doesn't accept Kayin's carbon. Sheshbarach, turns to Kayin, he says, To Kayin, why are you all upset? Why are you all upset? So the Svarno says, what do you, why am I all upset? What kind of question is that? Hashbaruch, you know why Kain is upset. It was his idea to bring the carbon. It was his idea. He was the first person, the first human being to ever offer something up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And yet his younger brother steals the spotlight. His younger brother steals the shah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepts Hevel's carbon and not his. So says the Svarno in number 11, what was HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying to Kain? Not why are you upset, I understand you're upset. He was saying to Cain, is why do you choose to remain in a state of desperation? Why do you choose to remain in a state of yeosh? And number 11, Listen to these profound words. When your problem has a remedy, I think this Svarno, by the way, if you're ever stuck on a desert island and you can only take one thing with you, take this Svarno. Take this line. Just cut it out. Take it with you. Listen to what the Svarno says. When my problem has a remedy, do not spend your time focusing and lamenting the past. Tikun la'asid. Rather, what you need to do is spend your energies building a better future. See, Chodesh Baruch Hu wasn't asking Kayin, why are you upset? Chodesh Baruch Hu knows why Kayin is upset. His carbon wasn't accepted. What he was asking Kayin is, why are you remaining in a state of sadness? Why are you remaining in a state of desperation? Why are you remaining in a state of yesh? You don't have to be sitting there wallowing in it. Get up, bring another carbon. Get up, do something better. Move your life forward. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us in this exchange something amazing. So if you bring together Parshas Noach and the Parshas Bereshis, more towards the middle of Parshas Bereshis, you see something, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, how do you deal with failure? How do you deal with failure? How do you deal with failure? Move on. Move on. You know, sometimes we become so conditioned to talking about our problems. And I'm not saying talking about your problems could be very helpful because sometimes I have to understand why I do the things that I do and why I behave the way I behave and why I've made the mistakes that I've made. There's a benefit to that. But sometimes people become so mired in the talking about and reliving of their problems and of their failures that they forget the remedy. 
And the remedy is move on. I don't mean move on, forget. I mean move on, move your life forward. Do not remain stagnant. Do not remain mired in the difficulties, in the sadness, in the failure. And look at HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Ribbon Shalom says, I'm so upset, I'm so sad. Man has given up on himself. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have packed it up. All right, I'm out. I'm gone. I tried. I tried. I'm moving to Boca. I don't know where HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes. You know, I'm done. I'm done. I tried. Didn't work out. Move on. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what, is, what, is, what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He starts again. What an incredible lesson in behavioral modeling. When you fail, even when you suffer debilitating failure, don't live in it. Gather yourself together and move yourself forward. Why are you upset? Not why you're upset. I know why you're upset. But why are you sitting there lamenting? Why are you sitting there reliving? Why are you sitting there reenacting? Why are you playing this over in your mind over and over and over and over and over again? And by the way, you know what happens? You know what happens because Cain kept on reliving and replaying it? It, it, it? it nurtured a hatred that was so intense that brother killed brother. Because that's what happens when you constantly live in your failures. It just creates an internal negativity that at some point in time bubbles out into the world around you. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tries to tell Kayin, Shefala, please don't sit here wallowing in it. Get up. You're a good boy. It was your idea. You could do better. You made a mistake. You suffered a failure, a setback. It's okay. It's okay. Move forward. But Kayin could not hear his father. Kayin could not hear the message. And instead of what he does is, instead of taking the responsibility for the failure and moving himself forward, he does what we do all too often in life, is we project our failures onto other people. So Cain, instead of owning it, says, ah, it was Hevel. You're my problem. Hevel, not your problem. Hevel was never your problem. In fact, Hevel gave you the greatest compliment, right? The little brother mimicked the older brother. Isn't that the greatest compliment? And it could be annoying, but isn't that the greatest compliment in a family? But Cain was so angry, so disappointed, and so unable because of himself to move on, that all of that negativity and self-hatred came out against his brother. And Sa'akadosh Baruch who teaches us in the face of failure, what do we do? We move ourselves forward. I'll tell you something amazing. If you take a look on the bottom of the page, I put the Aleph base. Just I wanted to show you something interesting, only because I couldn't, I just want to show you the base for just a moment. You know, the Torah starts with base of Bereshis. And the Sfarim bring down a beautiful idea. Why does the Torah begin with base? So there's a lot of different interpretations as to why the Torah begins with base. But base is a very unique letter. Because if you notice, base is closed on all sides. And it's only open on one side. And that's the side that points straight ahead. See, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if you want to create a world, you can't spend your life looking back or looking up or looking down. You can't spend your life wallowing in the failures of the past, which all of us have. You can't live there. You can't live there. If you want Bereshis, if you want to build a life, you want to build a world for yourself, it starts with Bayes. Block out everything before you, everything on top, everything on the bottom, and just look forward. Sometimes the only way to overcome failure 
is to move your life forward. Now, I will tell you something interesting about the base. Is if you notice, I don't know if it came out clearly on the sheet, but if you notice the base, and this is the way the base is written in the Sefer Torah, the base has what's called the tag. There's a little line. If you look to, on the right hand, on the right hand top of the base, that points backwards, if you notice that. And the Sfarim bring down something beautiful. While it's true that you are not supposed to live your life looking in the rearview mirror, at the end of the day, you do have to learn from your past. I do have to spend a little bit of time, right? That, that little schmitzik over there, that little tag. I have to spend a little bit of time looking in the past. Because if I don't look at the past, I don't learn from the mistakes of the past, then ultimately, again, I'm doomed to repeat them. But there's only a little bit of time. You know, one of the contemporary Hasidic authors says, he's like, kind of like the way you use your rear view mirror, right? If you drive always looking in your rear view mirror, right? You don't look anywhere but your rear view mirror. What's going to happen? You're going to crash, right? So you got to look ahead. If you never look in your rear view mirror, you also won't be able to see who's behind you, who's next to you. When you're going, you're making turns. So life is this incredible combination. The majority of my focus has to be looking forward. The base closed on all sides. But there's the little tag, the little bit that looks backwards. So therefore, an answer to our question about how do we deal with life failure? Because after all, if you think about it, the dominant theme, the dominant theme of these parashios, as, as overwhelming as it is, is failure. That's the dominant theme, right? That's, what, that's the story. It's the story of Adam and Chava. It's failure, right? It's a story of Cain and Hevel. It's a story of Noah and humanity. And even Noah, once he gets off the Teva, Noah is off the Teva for four minutes, right? And what happens? He's drunk. He's drunk. Really? Really? Like we can't get through a parsha, just one parsha, maybe a perek, without someone falling on their face? Such is the nature of the human condition. And that's why Beratius begins with Bayes. Reflect, learn, but not for too long. Move yourself forward. And therefore, if we come full circle, we'll understand. So now we understand. Let's go back. David HaMelech, with this we'll conclude. David HaMelech said, La'amatzeach el-anachilos. And remember again, the Medrash says what the Nechilos represent. Nechilos represents the failures of life. Specifically represents the Chet Egel, the Golden Calf. Nechilos represents the failures of life. So David HaMelech says something amazing. What happens when you encounter failure? What happens when you encounter failure? So first of all, lesson number one, when you encounter failure, refresh. There is a plan for every path, or every path has a plan. You know, even when we fail, that's hashkacha. Even when we fail, that's divine providence. Now you have to be very careful. It doesn't mean that I'm not responsible for my failures. I am. But when I encounter failure, the Baruch who wanted me to have this experience, because there's something for me to learn, there's some way for me to grow. There is a plan for every path. Everything that happens to me in life, even the failures, is purposeful. But David HaMelech takes it one step further. And this is the beauty, this is the beautiful eyes of David HaMelech. Because when you look at Bereshis, you look at Kain and Hav, you look at everything, you look at the base of Bereshis, what's the message you get? What's the message? Don't wallow in the failure. Move yourself forward. Because there's a path, for, right? There's a plan for every path. David Amalek takes it further. And what does he say? It's not just enough to move forward. What do you have to do? Lam You have to sing. You have to sing as you move your life forward. You know, there are two ways that people move forward. Some people schlep forward, right? They schlep, all right, fine, I'll move forward. Okay, because what's the choice? Right, I'm going to move forward. And some people sprint forward. And some people sing moving forward. David HaMelech says, be a singer. 
In the aftermath of abysmal life failure, find the ability to sing once again as you begin your new journey. Because you begin this journey enriched with all of the life lessons of the failure. You begin this life journey armed with all of these new things I learned about myself and I learned about life as a result of this failure. And don't just schlep into the new chapter. Don't just drag yourself into the new chapter. Don't just walk forward begrudgingly. We often don't choose the circumstances. And sometimes we don't even choose the failures. But we do choose how we move forward in the aftermath of failure. I could be a Kayan and never move forward at all and wallow in it. And we know that is a journey towards self-destruction. Or I can move forward, saying to myself, reminding myself, for every path there is a plan, but I move begrudgingly, still holding all of that anger and animosity and sadness over what happened. Or I could choose to be like David HaMelech. What happened, happened. The past is the past. I'm a voracious Jew. I'm a Bayes Jew. I'm putting my efforts moving forward. A little schmitzik looking back because I have to learn from my past, but I'm putting the majority of my effort moving forward and I'm going to sing. Why am I going to sing? Because although I may not have wanted this new beginning because the new beginning is a result of failure, it's what I have. And if it's what I have, I'm going to maximize it and make the best of it. That's the simple lesson that David Amalek teaches us. Don't wallow in failure. Don't become a Kayan. Be a Bayes Jew. Plot the path forward. And don't embrace your new future begrudgingly because you have no choice. Embrace it. Maximize the future you have ahead of you, even if it's not the future you would have chosen for yourself. A beautiful lesson, but even more beautiful. Because David HaMelech doesn't just say it. You know, a lot of times people give advice, but it rings a little hollow. David HaMelech lived this. David HaMelech's life was one of bays. David HaMelech's life was one of moving forward after adversity and difficulty. David HaMelech's crowning accomplishment was the ability to sing after failure as you enter into the next chapter in life. May we be Zohar Mir Hashem to harness that koach as well. We'll stop over here. We'll continue Mir Hashem in Parakeh with Parshas Lech Lecha next week.